Okay, let's get started. Alrighty. Welcome to the CubeCast Podcast, where the secrets of zeroing are revealed. Today is February 28th, 2015. I'm Mitch, and joined with me is Wafo and Brandon. That listener tagline, by the way, is brought to you by Corey Sikowski. Dank. Dank. How's everyone doing? Uh, So, I'm currently sitting here with Mitch in my room. This isn't the first time. Yeah, thanks, Corey, for sending in that listener tagline. If you have a listener tagline, please send that to us at cubecast at gmail.com. And if we like it enough, we'll have it on our website, as well as on the show, perhaps. This episode, we have some pretty interesting stuff happening. Uh, We're going to talk quite in-depth about the internals of how the WCA works and a lot about the WRC with our disgruntled parent. (laughs) (laughs) That's gross. (laughs) Disgruntled parent? Is that what you said? Is this too painful right now? (laughs) Is this too painful for you? Old people. <laughs> this is what we go through every single episode. We have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> make it sound all right. Yeah, it sounds all right in the end. Yeah. yeah, in the end, this is what we go through. This is the pain that we have to go through in order to make a successful episode. All right, okay. let's go. So you got the next right. one? Yeah. All right, so we got some housekeeping going on first. Uh, we have a puzzler winner. Our first one, we got plenty of submissions, but there was only one winner and a lot of arguments on speed solving. And it's Melanie Hung. Congratulations. You went $20 to the cubicle.us. And uh, thanks for everyone who had submissions. And thank you for the cubicle.us for setting us up with a prize. We also got our RSS feed set up. Hopefully it works. Uh, let us know if it doesn't work. And uh, make sure you can subscribe. You can find the link to the RSS feed on our website, which is cubecast.cubing.net. We also have a brand new montage by the montage master herself, Sarah Strong. Thanks to her. Thanks a lot. Just go onto the website, go onto episodes list, and it should be listed there under, uh, I think, season two. We're also uh, pretty much open to guest suggestions because we want to know who you guys want onto the show. So we're going to move on to world records, continental records, and national records. The last time that we talked about this was on the 13th of February, and it's currently the 28th of February. Uh, The first record that we're going to talk about is that... uh, can you say this one? <laughs> I'm just going to guess General for Samlingen. Uh 2015 in Slagenzell, Denmark. A pretty uh, cool world record that was broken. Nathaniel Berg, 5.25 clock WR single. Um, the world record that he broke was standing for a really long time. Do you know how long it was? The record that was broken by Nathaniel Berg uh, was a record that was set back in 2011. So now we just got to wait on 2 by 2 to be broken? <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, Nathaniel <laughs> Berg also got a 6.21 clock European record average. Like, it's been the longest drought of a world record for um, for that. For a while? Just yeah. There have been no records set for a while since yeah it's been is that the first that's hours. the first world record of 2015 it is the world the first world record of 2015 yeah so that's a really interesting hey first world record yeah hopefully more to come this year so we can cover it and keep the show going <laughs> um moving on to pop toys summer 2015 in johannesburg south africa all right so brendan james gray got a 7.01 skew african record average and I'm going to guess Chisto Duvinage, 4.90 Skub African record single, which is pretty cool. Um, they haven't heard a lot from Africa, so it's really well, they cool. Did have, they did have two competitions with Felix and Mats there. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but like, that's Felix and Mats, though. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, we obviously would be paying attention to, like, if Felix and Matsuri, but that's just really cool still that, they, like, that there's still competitions going on there. I think it's really cool because it really shows how Cubing is starting to be much more of a worldwide thing. Because um, we've, we've talked before about having worlds in South America, which has becoming has been becoming much more developed over the years. And yeah. then Africa actually getting some traction and getting decent at a lot of things, which is really cool to see. Yep. So moving on to the next thing is Wasada Brain Challenge in Shinjuku, Japan. Uh, Yu Nakajima got an 849 5BLD ASR. Um, and the Japanese NR of uh, for 3Blind is 33.59 um, it's a that's the mean of three by Oto Ayagi Ayagi, Ayagi? yeah Ayagi Ayagi and then uh, the unofficial world record for the oldest three blind solve is held by Hideki Tomiyori for eighty two years old. Good lord! Yeah, he he kind of I think broke it himself like the previous record, which was himself. He uh, oh. actually did three blind when he was also eighty. Wow, <laughs> yeah. So, like, I don't, I, I don't remember that off the top of my head. That that's really impressive. It was in the thread, so I kind of just like I sort of remembered it, like kind of nowhere. So that's yeah. cool. <laughs> it's still cool seeing like old people going into it. It's fun. I don't think I've seen any solvers over the age of like 50. sixty, maybe, at a competition. Uh-huh. So it's it's cool to see somebody like eighty-two years old going to a Rubik's Cube competition of all things that they could be doing. And, doing and then doing blind, <laughs> doing three blind at that. <laughs> it's really impressive. Like, <laughs> we got La Florida Open 2015 in Santiago, Chile. Uh, we got two SARs by uh, Raul Lobetti. Uh, we got a 10.88 uh, square one SAR, and by the same guy, 15.27 square one SAR average. The first one was a single. Yeah, I've been following this guy for, like, Square One stuff for a while now, and he's gotten really fast, and um, it's just a matter of time that he got these records. Like, he's been posting, like, low 15, 14-second, like, average of 100 on Square One, and it's really nice to see that he actually got a good average in comp. All right, so that's all the records that were broken in the past two weeks. Now we're going to take a short commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to introduce Kit Clement. Joining us now is Kit Clement, who is actually in the same room, and he's just been sitting there quietly. <laughs> now he's moved up his chair a little bit towards the mic. <laughs> uh, it's so hard to be quiet when you guys are talking about all these records. I wanted to just jump in and say all my two cents on those things. Oh, yeah? Well, you can. All my two cents. I'm a really poor person. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Everyone here is poor. That's why we had to uh, get to cubicle.us to get his mics. <laughs> nice, nice placement of ad there. Oh, yeah. No, we try real hard. 
So, Kit, we just got through one day of Basque 5, which is the real reason why you're here. How yep. do you think it's gone so far? Uh, it's been going pretty well. Um, I was a little intimidated by the whole 150-person uh, uh, competition going on here. I've never delegated anything over 100 people. I've had several, several in like the 80-90 range, but granted, we didn't get the full force of everyone here today. Uh, there was not the infestation of all the first-timers, and with 3x3, three three, we had all the kind of the side events today. We'll see how I feel tomorrow. Yeah, you're going to be blown away tomorrow. It's oh, I believe it. <laughs> it's, it's scary. It's straight-up scary. Like it, For anybody out there um, who's organized competitions, you'll know full well how difficult it is to have a whole bunch of new competitors at 3x3. Three three. But yeah, we got 50 new competitors tomorrow, so I, I don't know if we're going to try doing some sort of demonstration on how the competition process works. Usually we just kind of let the judges handle it, but we'll see what, how things need to go. I've it's delegated just... competitions that have fewer than 50 people. That must be a dream. Do you have a cap on it, or no? <laughs> no, like Carnegie <laughs> Mellon last December had 20-some people. Oh, shit. The smallest competition I went to was FMC USA. Yeah. Oh, that was with, like, but other than, seven or something. Other than that, it's probably, like, 60. We should just have every comp be just FMC. Well, with, with, without a cap on, would you count uh, Mind Sports? Uh, Mind Sports was rather small because they, they had a 40 person limit. Yeah, I think so. But that was that limit was imposed not because Berkeley necessarily wanted to, that was because of the event that was, being, that was also part of. But as far as the unbounded competitions go, the smallest one probably maybe 55 people. Mm-hmm. So, Kit, um, we know that you have a pretty big role in the like the World Cube Association. So, mm-hmm. can you tell us how is it like to be on the WRC? Oh, the WRC. So you talk about big roles, and then you talk about me on the WRC. That's <laughs> ironic. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, I do contribute a bit to the WRC. Um, I was mostly just brought on just because I did a lot of work um, kind of under the radar with the release of the... 2014 regulations. I was kind of brought on to the WRC just to kind of be someone to help out with that. Um, I don't know. It really, my life has kind of taken over <laughs> since then. So I have not had too much time. There's a lot of discussion going on currently about the 2015 regs. Um, but so that's uh, that's pretty much my role so far. We're we're kind of just mostly been doing a lot of discussion, uh, figuring out what direction we want to go with a lot of the issues that we have currently, and we'll see how it turns out. Yeah. yeah, what would you say are some of the top issues that are currently existing with the regulations oh, as they are? Okay, well, the thing that's really, really annoying for me is square one misalignments. <sighs> yeah. Oh, my... This... So, there for pretty much every puzzle, it's simple to define misalignments as the same before inspection and at the end of the solve. Square one is a weird thing because... Um, so we like to have the refer- the kind of like misalignments be referenced um, for both. The, like, you know, have one place. We reference the misalignments and the regulations. Uh, but the problem is with square one is that in inspection... Um, you really don't want them to move at all because it's potential that a 30-degree turn could create a new state of the puzzle. Um, but when we do uh, the misalignment check at the end, it can go up to 45 degrees. So it's kind of a weird loophole right now that you're technically not making a move when you turn it 30 degrees. And um, the fix is not easy, and it's going to make the regulations really convoluted. <laughs> and that's kind of the biggest problem. It's also figuring out you know, how do you set up a line that's easy to judge, easy to enforce? Um, it's a really troubling issue. Everyone seems to have a different opinion on how to do it. And 
there really, so far, I have not seen a single good solution to this problem. Ouch. Have, yeah, you, guys, have you had, like, any bad experiences with Square One misalignments in competition? Not my own competitions, but there have been competitions where um, we have allowed, I believe... Um, I'm kind of going on memory here, so don't quote me on this. But I believe there was a competition where there was a misalignment and inspection, uh, and it was allowed? I can't remember. It might have been DNF. Don't quote me on this. This happened, I think, in late 2013 or early 2014, so it's been a while. Wow. Uh, That is certainly... A very striking issue. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of a giant loophole and kind of gray area that we don't know what to do with right now. Um, so that's kind of the big problem is you when you do a lot of competitions, you run into these weird gray areas where you're just not sure, uh, d- does this fall on the responsibility of the competitors? Does this fall on the responsibility of the judge? And, you know, people really want the regulations to get more concise, but they can't. You cannot get them more concise when there are so many different situations that can come up at a competition, and you need to have an answer to these. What do you think about having uh, having a condensed version of the regulations for competitors who are only doing certain things? Because Sarah brought that up at one point or another, I thought. Yeah, and there's a reason Sarah hasn't... She, she tried kind of <laughs> putting... From what I'm aware, she tried putting a lot of time into creating this kind of reduced set of the regulations, and it, they're, they're all so self-referenced that it's really hard to <laughs> to condense the regulations to be kind of bite-sized. I think the best thing to do, really, is the, the for... Uh, the Cubing USA website really does have good like first-time competitor tutorials, and they do give you the gist of what's going on. Um, but really, uh, the, if you're a competitor, you really should know the regulations. You're going to be disadvantaged and not understand how to avoid penalties and all of the like if you don't know the regulations. And from an organizer's perspective, it makes it really difficult when some people who are on staff either don't know the regulations, don't know how to scramble for certain things, because it's pretty clearly spelled out with how scrambling orientation is supposed to be, for example, how um, how you're supposed to judge for all the plus two penalties, because there are eight of them, except in the case of clock, where there are only seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is another issue we could talk about later. Um, or we could talk about that now if you're willing to. <laughs> well, why not? What are we, what are we talking about, uh, specifically? Misalignment penalties? Yeah, misalignment penalties for clock, because every other Every other speed solving event has them, and clock is just kind of the yeah. I actually, I actually had a judge come up to me today and ask, "What are the penalties for clock?" And I'm like, "Did you read the regulations?" Like, <laughs> uh, so I, it's interesting you bring it up from this perspective, like the why don't we add misalignment penalties for clock? Where I'm kind of the why don't we just get rid of misalignment penalties? Period. Yeah, I wanted to point out the, that that clock was the only one that didn't have one not so that we had to add one but that it was just incongruous yeah it it is um i think the tricky part comes is it's so hard to draw the line because um there you know there's several different unit vectors within a clock and how you can make the the wheels adjust and where where is this a plus two is that a plus two it's it Oh, it, 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 it kind of falls in the line of like how we used to do puzzle defects where it used to be, um, you know, if it was, if it am- unambiguously could be put together, like, you know, there was no way you could put it together in an unsolved state that it was considered solved. Dear God, that was confusing to interpret. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with like all these new cubes now that pieces disassemble in the weirdest way. And it's like, yeah. is this now unambiguous? I don't know. 
How ambiguous. Yeah. Right? Or like, so like, you know, the corners that come apart, I think the there was part corners. Yeah. So I think there was one case where a corner, like one stalk came off. What the how? How does that even happen? I don't know. But that happens. happens. I've had that happen. Yeah, so like it pops and a stalk comes off, and you're like, is this a disim? Like, is this unambiguously put back together, or you know, just reassembling the corner? You know, is that not a given? You know, because I don't know. It's it. There's so many gray lines with that. I'm so glad we got rid of it and just made it now. You can have up to one piece with one sticker only. Yeah, yeah. I. It's so much easier, and even then, there are still some gray areas that come up. Nothing comes to mind right now, but man, I'm pretty sure there will be. Just have. (laughs) Um, I know that this is also controversial too, but some shift towards a, you know, it's solved or it's not solved would be a nice change. You know, either, you know, the the pieces are together and the cube is not misaligned. Solved. Yeah. (laughs) It it makes a lot of sense because trying Mm -hmm. to define all these misalignments, especially in the square one case, it it gets to be... um, I, I feel like, personally... Over the years, getting so many plus twos and DNFs, I honestly don't really... I wouldn't really mind if we didn't have plus two penalties for misalignments. Um, how do you feel about having the other plus two penalties in general for all the other all the other stuff, like timer, false starts and stuff? Oh, you have to have them. I think the problem is they're not enforced very regularly. Yeah, do you think it's feasible to try enforcing all of them if they all happen in one song? Or multiple multiple random <laughs> Well, Brandon has for ran- <laughs> I've done this before. Yes. Yeah, you're a terrible person. Uh, so... <laughs> I just let the judge know beforehand. I, it's not that like I went in there and was like, yeah, I'm going to see if they catch this. No, if I'm going to get a plus 16 penalty, or plus N penalty, where N is even and less in between, like, 2 and 16, inclusive, <sighs> um, I'll let the judge know. But for the most part, I'll be like, yo, I'm going to get 16 seconds penalty on this. You might not catch them all because you are a new recruit to Berkeley Cube Club. That's your <laughs> <sense>. <laughs> what it is. Shots fired. Shots fired. Yeah. But I, I, had, I had somebody ask me um, what all the misalignments were, very, or what all the plus two penalties were very recently, uh, in fact, and... I was able to give them, and the fact that some people just don't know certain ones kind of makes it makes me think that it might not be that feasible to judge all of them, or especially if people don't know all of them. Well, it's just that it's not that people don't know them. I feel it's more that people just don't watch for them. Uh, so yeah. often, especially um, what I really noticed today in one hand is that a lot of judges I had to point out to them that the competitors were still touching the cube as they stopped the timer. There was one new competitor that had three straight times where he, we told him exactly what the penalty was. He stopped the timer while the cue is still releasing the cube out of his hand. And three, his first three solves were all plus two for that. And he finally learned, but it was just like, the judge, the judge wouldn't have given him the penalty in the first place if it weren't for me. It's, oh, okay. I think it's just that people aren't paying attention. Judges need to pay more attention, really. What do you think about, um, about two seconds as kind of the go-to now for stuff like that. For penalties, you mean? Yeah, for penalties. Like, because every penalty that we have is two seconds. How do you feel about two seconds? I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's a penalty. Ar- <laughs> it's completely arbitrary, but it is. Do you think that two seconds is enough to really disincentivize people from getting them? Because I, I think it, I think it works pretty, I, pretty effectively. For certain events, it doesn't really. Uh, like for feet, I think a lot of people plus two feet 
all of the time. Like, I do this. Oh, for misalignment? Yes. I will purposely not do the last, like, move because I know that I can solve the cube quicker by just not doing the last move. Hey, let's just get rid of misalignment penalties. Then we're, then everything's fine. This is a very controversial. <laughs> I'm all for, I'm all for removing it, to be honest. Like, I just really want, you know, just a definitive solve state because it's just so much more simpler to keep track. I agree. Yeah, you see, the thing is, the more you start talking about all these inconsistencies, the more you just really want to simplify the rules. And, you know, I understand that it's not the best from a, you know, we want to be generous to competitors' perspective or whatever, um, which I think is where a lot of these come from. I think that um, many of these regulations are designed so that, you know, even someone who might not totally know the regulations, you know, they have a pretty big safety net <laughs> to avoid, like, DNFing an average. Yeah. yeah. Um, but... You know, I think it, there there comes a time where there's just too much gray area to deal with this, to try to, you know, be so accommodating. Just know the regulations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. It's just, things should be, slim, like, simpler. Considering, like, that the uh, entire cubing community has expanded around the world, it's blowing up everywhere, there's, like, a lot of... Probably lost translation sometimes. Things that are getting out of hand. I think that oh. just making it simple, you know, that's the, you, the, you, the hugest issue too is how to keep things uh, consistent. You know, in, when you have regulations translate into other languages, you know, a lot of issues come up because of you know one of the biggest things. There was a very recently a long discussion about um, how your hands should be on the timer when you start, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, because it says with fingers on the timer, yeah. which is incredibly vague. Um, it, it should be interpreted as, as there should be more than one finger, part of your finger yeah. touching the timer. I, yeah. Um, and a lot of the, so I'm not sure if this was a translation error or just like how they think it should be error, but a lot of, uh, places in China were interpreting it as fingertips. Ooh. Like you couldn't have your fingers go over the timer. That was probably a translation mm-hmm. error. I feel like. I don't think it was. I think it was also just a way they were enforcing it because I think that there is a, a sensible reason to make it fingertips, is so that all competitors are, have their hands, you know, behind the timer, you know, not touching the cube. Um, there's an equal distance, I suppose, from where your hands have to go to pick up the cube. Um, it started actually because of Jay McNeil's uh, five something solve. Five ninety one. The five ninety one. How that was he it. had his like hands really close together and it, the mm-hmm. fingertips were yeah. Yeah. So like he had just enough fingers on the timer and the cube was like right in between his hands mm-hmm. um so he could get a faster pickup and some delegates thought that that should have been a plus two so that i think is part translation part how people want to enforce the regs so it's it's a very frustrating thing to deal with um but it's something you know you really keeping conditions fair and equal for everyone across the world is what we're here for mm-hmm. <laughs> that's such a hard task that you got set in front of you there. Yeah, you know, deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of dealing with it, um, this will bring us to our next point, the 2015 venue for U.S. Nationals. So, uh, I know I remember that you had a pretty big role in one of the potential venues for that. Yeah, so I've th- this is my first year um, being on the organizational staff for U.S. Nationals. Oh, boy. Yeah, so I got added uh, mostly because I did a lot of work for 2014 Nats. Um, I was the head score checker for uh, Nationals. I'm and- sorry. 
What, is, what do you do for the score checker? So score checker, uh, after every competition, of course, you have to check the scorecards okay. to make sure that the results you submit are correct. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and for nationals, when you have five, 600 competitors, it becomes a very grueling task. Um, you just basically go down like cube comps and match scorecard with times. Yeah, pretty okay. much. Yeah. It was that it, we had about 20 people doing it and it took a few hours. <laughs> oh wait, 20 people doing it only took a few hours. Yeah. Wow. I mean, we crunched through it. That's, wow, that's impressive. We we did it every night. So when we came back to the ho, or from the venue, we would go to our hotel, sit down, and just crunch out all the score checking. Um, We had, the national staff provided us with some money to get food for everyone that came and helped, so we kind of incentivized people to come do it. So that was kind of my big role there among kind of... I ended up being almost like an organizer on call at times, too, just to be like... Where, like, I was running around trying to deal with things. Um, Mostly because I was put in the long room for a long time, but they had plenty of people when I got stuffed in there, so I ended up kind of doing other on-call tasks. So they were just kind of like, well, you're de facto organizer... So that happened. But the other reason they made me organizer as well is because I was looking into uh, moving nationals this year somewhere in the Midwest. Uh, That was kind of my goal. However, that didn't pan out. Um, We had a gig kind of lined up with the Ford Convention Center in uh, Dearborn, Michigan. It's kind of right between uh, the airport. or It's right very close to the airport of Detroit, actually. So it would have been actually a pretty ideal venue. Uh, Unfortunately, when we kind of got to the talking with them... Um, they were surprised to hear that we were not a nonprofit organization. Um, it's not that we don't make, I mean, cause really the world cube association, we don't make money, but the problem is we, um, aren't a real organization. We are just a website with some results listed. Yeah. And is that just because there nobody's put their address on it? Yeah. The, the big problem is that we don't have like an office or an address to centralize the WCA anywhere. You know, most people that run this stuff, they're, um, you know, there's a there's you know several a few adults, but the most people that like really put their heart and soul into this, or I mean, not not to no, there are a lot of people put their heart and soul into this. Don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of us that are college students or just recently graduated that are really just bouncing around all the time, and you can't you know put an address down and then find out you know a year or two later you're you're moving. So it's and a lot of people just aren't willing to put down their address as the real WCA. So I'm surprised that. It it wasn't made originally into like Tyson Mouse backyard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah backyard seems to be a very convenient place to uh, organize stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Just like uh, have all the mail like address to Tyson Mouse backyard USA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like uh, that was just Santa, straight up. Yeah, and it's it's also just a lot of um, paperwork, a lot of money that would go into um, you know we'd have to we'd have to do a lot more upkeep and have people dedicated to doing that work that nobody really wants to do with like you know you know we have to prove our nonprofit status mm-hmm. so we have to do a lot more record keeping of like money and things like that and it's just not worth it <laughs> yeah it's i mean so it could be interesting to see if like uh maybe not the WCA becomes a nonprofit but maybe the US Nationals team could become a nonprofit yeah, or something like that, because that is a more centralized group that could be easier to mobilize in that sense. But yeah, like Cuban like USA. Yeah, making that some one of an organization. I don't know, but 
you know, I think that right now uh, we're 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 able to still get venues. We're able to, you know, I, you know, it's just it was unfortunate that the, my venue in Michigan didn't pan out. Yeah. So that would have been ideal for me. It would have been nice because yeah. it's just like four hours from where I am right now, so it's not too bad. Yeah, it would have been like thirty minutes for me. Yeah, look at you, <laughs> Mister. I, I live in Michigan, so it's fine. So, um, what what kind of details do you guys look for as an organizational team? When it comes to venues for a big competition like nationals, well, cost is a big one. So <laughs> I actually did look into stuff at the University of Michigan as well. The cost was the driving factor into why we couldn't reserve anything there, um, as well as it just they weren't big enough like to sell us. Like if it were we, there was a venue that was kind of big, but it, we weren't sold on the size and it was too expensive. So we were like, yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, too small and too expensive. Kind of. It's a terrible. Out. Terrible combination. Yeah. Um, some other good things that we learned from 2014 uh, is you really want to have a venue that has lodging close by, if not is the lodging. <laughs> yeah, well, we can't <laughs> Vegas again, because uh, very recently it was announced that the Riviera will be uh, closed for major renovations. They're basically... Okay, crazy. no joke. We were one click away from, like, the Riviera is our venue in 2015. <laughs> Oh my god. We were so close to we had pretty much the contract emailed to us to get the nationals there again, but we did not do it. And I mean, if we had done it, they would have paid either paid us for the damages or they would have relocated us yeah, to They probably would have relocated, I feel like. Yeah. They so it would have still happened in Vegas somehow yeah. or some it would have still happened. It would have just been a logistical nightmare for us. Um, but in the end, we, I mean, the Riviera is, I don't think it get, gets much worse than the Riviera in Vegas. So if we were get relocated in Vegas, we would probably have a pretty nice venue. So, um, but the venue that we do have this year is incredibly nice. Um, so the re how we found it, we were searching, uh, through, uh, it was like, uh, event planner or eventfinder.com. I don't know. It was some, uh, venue planning website. It's kind of like wedding planners or something, but taking out the <laughs> wedding, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we found um, that we kind of just did a search for venues, and it was in, all these different places came up that were kind of within our reach that seemed to have our size. But um, Hilton Head was—you wouldn't believe it's, uh, it was a pretty good value. It, it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of the, that and the fact that it, I mean, it's a terribly nice place to go in the summer and has, you know, all the things we're looking for in terms of, you know, space for competitors and being really close to the venue. You will have to walk outside to go from your hotel room to the venue. I ah, outside. But it's a, like, you get, you get to walk like by the beach, you know, then, you know, wrap around to where the venue is, where they have like their meeting space. So it's not all bad. Yeah, and it's a resort of all things. Like, on an island. Come on. Like, <laughs> literally, come on. Yeah, like, and I know a lot of people are complaining about costs, too. So, in terms of just, like, hotel. Um, just get a lot of friends. The The hotels have so many beds, a lot of, like, pull-downs. You can fit pretty comfortably, like, six people in a lot of those rooms. Yeah. And when you bring it, when you, you know, divide it up that far, it's not so bad. And then with all the other floor space that people are never inevitably going to have, you could have rooms with like twelve mm. or eighteen people in them. <laughs> <laughs> that would be. Don't tell me that. I'm, I'm no, an organizational staff. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, um, so, so 
We want to get started on regional competitions? Yeah. So, topic ha- has been on the Cubecast. Um, we, we talked about we, this before. Basically. It's, it's been on every episode, basically. Every episode. <laughs> yeah. But now that we have somebody who's very involved with large competition planning and is currently in the process of delegating a rather large competition, um, we've been... We, of course, Cubecast has been really adamant about the topic, but... Um, what do you think about having large competitions that are comparable in size, uh, comparable in uh, comparable to U.S. nationals, but on more of a regional scale, having similar um, organizational um, organizational properties? Um. Well, nationals is enough for me, so I don't think I'd be interested in doing like a mini nationals every every year too. Um, but it. It does seem like an interesting system to have some sort of regional-based thing. Um, I think that it would take a really dedicated staff that's kind of not part of the current national staff to be able to do it. Just because, you know, nationals really is quite a job to put on. It's, you know, it's, you know, you finish one nationals and, you know, you probably have already been starting looking into venues the next year. So, um, it's... you know, ha- finding a good, dedicated group of people that can really centralize, mobilize, and, you know, focus on getting everything done in time and making sure it's done right is tough. Yeah. It's well, really definitely. tough. Um, so it would take the right group of people to be able to do it. And even then, um, it's just a name. You know, just calling it, you know, U.S. East or U.S. West or U.S. Midwest. It's just a name uh, in a competition. If you want to slap that name on your competition, go ahead, you know, and maybe see see if you get the, the swarms of people coming in. Have fun with that. Um, I think that really, you know, regional competitions are happening. They're just on a very micro level. I think what we're more trying to talk about is having, like, um, like let's, let's say have a Midwest one and a Pacific one. But we use the same scrambles for each. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, so that's another interesting concept, too. And I'm actually kind of... That intrigues me more. um, Because I think that, you know, you wouldn't be able to do every event in a weekend. And in fact, you probably would only be able to do a handful of events. But I think that it could happen. And I'm my idea for that is you would have... um, you know, let's say we pick, like, five events to do, like, two, three, four, five, one hand. I don't know. Like, the lamest competition ever, but whatever. Um, so, what we could do is just have, um, for, you you have a scramble group for each location. So, it doesn't matter, you know, you don't have to worry about that, like, synchronization at that point. That's- Maybe a scramble group or two for each location. Um because really trying to synchronize a large group of people is going to be especially, ridiculous. Especially with such... With such a just mm-hmm. location difference. Oh yeah, getting, getting everything to line up as far as events go exactly. As if you have if you have competitions that are th- three hours on the clock apart. Oh yeah, it, yeah. it makes it super difficult in order to coordinate between all all the people. Just FMC USA was hard enough. Oh I know. <laughs> Caltech. <laughs> Mothering Caltech. I'm sorry, you got to censor that out. Skip over that. I censor bleep that I use but, for this. So. Yeah, Caltech. They were running behind, and they only had two people for, for FMC USA competing. Oh my god! Yeah. So yeah, wait, wait, they were running behind for two people. Okay, so the the issue is they didn't have somebody to proctor for their attempt. Yep. So it was like oh, okay. somebody else that was actually doing the attempt, and they just didn't have somebody to proctor. So they had to find somebody really quick, and it put us behind just a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just trying to keep things in sync is difficult. So mm-hmm. I think that if you're going to do this for like a, a you know more widespread events, you really have to have just different groups for the first rounds at each location. But then what you could do is say, um, you know, so like say we have eight stations in Michigan and you have ten stations in uh, San Jose, and then we have another, um, you know, like maybe in, uh, Boston, they have another eight stations. What you could do for like second rounds or say like you say, let's, let's say we do two rounds of all these events. Then the second round, we could have it be synchronized and how you would have to do it then is somehow where, um, you know, that all the competitors are getting the same scrambles at the same time. So you'd even have to like, say like, okay, Two by two, let's have scramble one, everybody start at two o'clock. Scramble two, everybody start at like 2.05 or something like that. What if competitors aren't necessarily on board with that idea? Because everybody's starting at the same time. The kind of the point of of competitors sitting there and not being ready for their solve and doing it anyway, it doesn't sit very well in my head. What do you mean by by that? uh, You know, you you ask, are you ready? Is it still a 60 second thing? Well, so, I mean, you just, you have to, you don't, like, bring, you don't call the competitor up until, like, it's to their time to be called up. The whole point of this is so, you know, one, so, like, for example, um, the number of people advancing to the next round is going to be different in every location. Yeah. We have a lot of good two-by-twoers in the Midwest. We, and as a result, you know, if we do a two-by-two final, we'll probably have a lot of them. We'll probably have zero people. Yeah, so, um, and in that case, you'll have problems where it's going to take us a long time to get through solve one where other people are going to blow through it and you have to worry about um you know people sharing scrambles yeah um it becomes more of a concern because at the competition it's really easy to tell when people are you know sharing information with each other but then if one venue gets really far ahead and you know they say oh lol four move solution on scramble three and they send that over to you know my venue yeah, and then that's the huge problem, and making sure everyone that would start on the same time really kind of alleviates that. You have to schedule each and every. You have to schedule like a, a, a very short amount of time for each individual attempt, which is probably it, that's not worth too it. hard. I'd say that's still not worth it. Yeah, it's it could be worth it. It could be worth it from just like an interesting sort of perspective of can we have yeah, synchronized com- com- like a proof of concept sort of thing yeah like i think it would actually be kind of cool to run a competition like this just to say that we can do it kind of like how we ran fmc usa as kind of like a yeah we can do a multi-location comp that was cool and really i loved fmc usa that was so much fun i dnf'd <laughs> i still have my solutions somewhere around here oh, i was painfully close to dnfing i turned in my first and second solution with less than 10 seconds to go Ooh. like i was writing down the last moves oh, ouch. within the last 10 seconds and uh, both times i had no idea if they were right i had to wait <laughs> for them to be graded it was so painful <laughs> yeah. so go back to like the, the whole venue thing with regional competitions do you think that um finding a venue for nationals would be much expedited if regional competitions were a thing. Granted that the venues regional competitions got were big enough and had... The same You're saying like like a, this is like a pre-nationals in a sense? Or? Not quite a pre-nationals, but like um, as far as you'd have a whole bunch of venues that have been tried and you, you can really assess what would be yeah. of those. I mean... Or something completely different entirely. It's kind of hard to say because I know if I, if I were to kind of contribute a venue, the one that I would use would be nowhere near the level of a nationals venue. 
It would be it would work fine for a reg a large regional competition here, but there's no way we could work it as a nationals venue. Mm. So um, Nathan Soria's not skewed world record. Um, I think it was about one point seven one single, um, but the issue with with it was that it was a six move scramble and. It's believed that when the cube was going from the scrambling table to the judge, um, there was a move that was done on it that made it from seven moves optimally to six moves optimally. Um, do you think we should allow video evidence to, like, um, invalidate solves, or should we not allow that? I mean, in general, I think the WCA is pretty generous about uh, their rulings. Um, they want to make things right. They want to make things fair. Um, so I think that use of video evidence is really a good thing and that, you know, competitors, it, it can suck, but you know, if, if the information's out there, you know, we want to, this is not a, this is not a community that, or that should be built on, you know, fully competitiveness and doing whatever you can to get to the top. It's, it's really more a community. And, um, I know if it were me, I wouldn't be able to live with a record I didn't deserve. Mm-hmm. And I hope that other people, you know, feel the same way. So I think that use of video evidence really is a good thing. Um, and in general, um, there's a lot of things that have been overturned in terms of misscrambling recently. Um, you look at Akash Rapella's uh, 6.91 yeah. single that was overturned. Um, but just, be, you know, it seems like that the overall um, opinion of the board currently is that... Um, if there's nothing the competitor could have done, and it's a solve that could have been, or a scramble that could have been received, there's no reason to, to DNF it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's kind of the approach that's been taken. However, Nathan's scramble couldn't have been received. Yeah. So it makes more sense for. Mm-hmm. Especially considering that he went through the optimal solution, even though he did kind of turn out and back, I believe. Well, no, he, he did seven moves to this queue, but um, the way. Yeah. Um, if he had executed it so that he canceled through the sledge, yes. it would have been six. Yeah, because the, the yeah 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 it canceled through this right. Yes, that's what it was. If it was like the sledge continued the, the previous move that he was doing. Yeah, okay. It's really tough to see mm-hmm. something like that. Um, I had a chance to look through that scramble. Obviously, would not have done nearly the same thing, uh, just because. You know. Yeah, is I, I I haven't looked at the scramble myself, but I heard that it was not, like the seven move solution was not obvious. Not obvious no, the seven all. move was not. But yeah. the six move was very obvious. Yes, yes. <laughs> it, it really goes to show just how difficult. I, I guess it shows like how difficult and how easy scoop can be. Like yeah, it's one move away. It's it, it kind of also shows how hard it is to one look that puzzle. When one move makes you completely change your perspective. Oh, literally. Well, because. As I think it's the only deep cut puzzle we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all six sides are affected on the skew with every turn, and that changes literally everything about oh, how yeah. you perceive the puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. Makes it really tricky. All right. Um, also, talking about puzzles that necess- not necessarily are standard, uh, the, going back to Clock, there was a world record that was set for that we, that we talked about earlier. And, with uh, Nathaniel Berg. Yeah, with Nathaniel mm-hmm. Berg. There was some debate on speed solving about whether or not the reaction to the clock world record was an overreaction. What do you think about that? Um, it's really a case by case thing for what it seemed. The competition was, it was not like a, every station was in effect sort of thing. Not many people were solving. Um, I think there was a lot of context into what can constitutes like, you know, just like a major distraction or overreaction to competitors. 
Um, because there was really no one solving in his immediate n- neighborhood when I saw the video. Um, so I think that, you know, it would have, you know, you have to consider the context. I think that, yes, if in some context that could have been an overreaction, but, you know, at the same time, are you going to tell someone, no, you can't react to the fact that you just set a world record and a European record? I mean... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mitch, how was it during your 625? Um, it wasn't actually a very big reaction. Uh, it was just like, whoa, he got the solve. That's about it. <laughs> like, it wasn't a record, so not very many people were like, oh, crap, that's like actually a record, but... Yeah, I, I thought I remember like, people kind of hyping it up for like 15 seconds. And, yeah. And, and then people were just like kind of muttering about it. But that. it's more yeah. of like um, people were amazed that people got two people got sixes back to back because Kevin yeah, Costello Kevin got the six right before me and same scramble I got another six mm-hmm. and people were just really amazed that two people got sixes um, but like going back to the the clock world record if those people were affected by that solve they can just ask for the resolve yeah the only thing you have to worry about that is you know especially you know I, I think that there weren't many high level clock solvers in that competition but you have to consider you know what if you know, say, you know, Mitch and I are both really good clockers and we could easily <laughs> break world record. Okay. Best <laughs> <laughs> <That's> joke. <laughs> I got second today. I got second. You know, let's say we both have potential to break world record on a scramble and I go first mm-hmm. and I do it and I start celebrating and you're in the middle of your solve and it yeah. distracts you. You know, it's like there's always going to be people potentially doing a solve that you just got world record on and you could be affecting them. Mm-hmm. So there is that mm-hmm. to consider as well. At world championships, especially, like you would see Felix do a solve and he'd get like a five and then he's all the way at one end of the competition and then maybe Moss is at the other end and he gets the same scramble and he does the same solution or something, but he gets thrown off because of that reaction all the way down there. What would we do in that kind of a situation? That's tough. I mean, I do agree that, you know, you can always give resolves. We actually had a giant miscue at our last Michigan competition in January. Um, where, so we found out that one of the light switches will go off if you just lean on it. And it was that happens a lot at Berkeley. Yeah, that happens that's a lot. Such a problem, yeah. yeah. Well, I, no one's ever leaned against the wall back there, but it's like one of these, like, it's n- not even a physical switch. It's just if your hand waves over it. Ooh. It's one of these weird switches. So the person was just leaning against the wall there and turned off the lights the entire room. It was like Ooh. near black, except for the doors that were open. Oh, that's... Yeah, so we had a lot of, re- we had a lot of re-scrambles to give for that. Some people might be able to take advantage of it in, in the wrong way. They, you think that somebody would try to overreact to a solve and then throw off like their rival competitor? No, no. On the other, on the other end, like if some if somebody gets a world record on a particular scramble and somebody else like, and as they're celebrating, somebody else gets a really really bad result, uh, they can uh, they, they could say no, oh. I'm so thrown off by uh, by the by the distraction, even if it really didn't affect them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For me, like I do have one experience of being distracted, and it's it was at Worlds, and I don't remember if you guys remember this, but, or I don't know if you guys know this, but, um, who was the guy who threw the seven by seven at the ground? Oh, I can't remember. Um, that happened? Yeah. I think it was Michal Halchuk. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, he th- threw his seven by seven directly on the ground after seven by seven, uh, final because he didn't break the world record mm-hmm. and the pieces pelted me. It's like <laughs> they literally like landed on me and, I, at the time, I didn't realize, oh, maybe I should get a resolve for this, but like that actually caused me to get a bad solve just for the pieces of landing on me. 
Yeah, I would have thought I would have popped my own cube, and I was like, wait, that's not my cube. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's crazy. Is that an overreaction? What did you say? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it kind of just brings it back to, like, whole competition decorum, just not to, like, act like a jack. If you don't know the context of, like, Nathaniel's solve, where he, like, you know, he was just trying to break ER, and then was, oh, wow, that was my fifth solve and his world record. Whoa. So that's, I think, what caused, like, kind of the prolonged reaction, because he was first reacting to ER and then to the the world record. Mm-hmm. So, um, don't be a jack. Yeah, so as a delegate, that is your official statement on the matter? Uh, let's not call that official. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before our next commercial break, you want to just like so you're moving somewhere for your like PhD, right? Yeah. So right now, um, actually, part of the reason I am in California for Basque right now is I'm on my way to Portland to visit a PhD program there. Also got into a PhD program in uh, Athens, Georgia, for University of Georgia. So uh, it's very likely I'll be in one of those two places next year. So new competitions and new places. Uh, James Hildreth just got appointed a candidate delegate today. Yeah. Oh, in Michigan. Really? Yeah, I just got the email today that he's getting, he is in the process of getting appointed there. So, Michigan comps are not going to suffer if anyone in Michigan is listening to this. We're going to, you know, uh, we'll have people going strong there as well. But moving on, moving on out and branching out in the U.S. Yeah, and I heard that um, Casey Bernsteiner and Sean Collins became yeah, they got, delegates now. Yeah, they got upgraded. Now, there's really a difference. Yeah. I think that the only reason they have a difference between candidate delegate and delegate is just because it makes it easier to uh, say goodbye to a candidate delegate if, you know, we find out that the appointment was not the correct thing. Yeah, I suppose. Because it's, you know, it's really, it, the whole, I don't know if anyone's familiar with, like, the system of appointing delegates, but um, if you have someone to appoint, um, you suggest that person to your senior delegate, and the senior delegate might know nothing about this person. Especially, like, in... Because in the U.S., it's not such a big deal because we're a pretty, you know, small landmass relative to some of these other areas where it's, like, you know, East Asia. It's massive. Yeah, yeah so... You know, <laughs> you know um, the... The senior delegate might know nothing about this person. So, it's... The candidate system is really to make sure that people don't make bad appointments. Yeah. So in reality, there's, I'm just kind of explaining that there's no difference between a candidate and a real delegate. It's just kind of a that upgrade is kind of a we like what you're doing. Yeah. So we can expect more competitions from you in more places. Yeah, I've been going. <laughs> I've been going around as you can tell. I'm in California right now. <laughs> yeah. All right. And with that, that takes us to our second commercial break, uh, and we'll be back very shortly with some listener questions. The CubeCast podcast is brought to you by TheCubicle.us. Trusted by speedcubers and puzzlers worldwide. Check them out at www.thecubicle.us. Let's move on to some listener questions. We got a bunch of, well, one particularly long but really interesting question by Corey that uh, is actually really good. And it highlights kind of how things are going to move on into the future of cubing. So without ado, who wants to read it? Let's have Kit read it. 
Okay. <laughs> All right. Nobody expected that. Hmm. With speed cubing's rapid increase in popularity, competitor limits are becoming more and more common. Even Worlds has a competitor limit this year. I feel like competitor limits, or at least extremely low cutoffs in events, including 3x3, will be necessary in the future with the rate that cubing is growing if we want to keep the same number of events and rounds at local competitions. Perhaps 100 competitor limits will be commonplace, and registration could fill up in a matter of days. Uh, how do you feel about this? Do you feel that the WCA or ever will be prepared for this growth do you think it's fair or unfair for competitions to have prerequisites or qualifications at least for regional and world championships that's big <laughs> yeah it's a lot of things to cover there yeah okay so no we're not ready for this let's just put it out that way um <laughs> so there's um a lot of growth right now obviously um it's hard to predict when you get large competitions and how it's yeah, where people come. <laughs> we from. know that we know that firsthand. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's incredible the growth that cubing has, which is both a very good. It's a good problem to have. I would not like to be in the situation where we are losing competitors. Um, no, I mean, it, yeah. it really, it, you you don't want to be in a position where you know you're on every year getting you know losing and losing people at your competitions. It's it, it doesn't look good for the future in that sense. Yeah, I remember the Texas speed cubing community was very. It, it was thriving. It, w- it was like alive and well, and then it kind of just there were just no more competitions there. Mm-hmm. Just everything kind of petered out, and then Sean brought it back with Houston winner twenty eleven or not twenty twelve twenty twelve, and look where he is now. I suppose. Yeah, they're doing quite a bit now. Um, but yeah, so back to this question. So um, it's really tricky. You know, eventually. Nationals might be approaching, you know, a one, you know, if you uncap it, we could be approaching potentially like a thousand people that want to attend this competition. Oh. Um, can we, uh, like, what do you think? Do you think there will be like qualifications to get into nationals? Uh, yeah, so that's actually something we're throwing around as an idea. It's not something, of course, we're doing for this year for nationals, mm-hmm. um, but it's something that, you know, some sort of qualification system for nationals yeah. could be something that we see in the coming years. Um, it's something that we've thrown out as just because, especially when you consider how crowded Liberty science was yeah, as a venue on. and just, you know, you can't just keep finding bigger rooms, uh, with cubing. Eventually it becomes too logistically difficult to, you know, have people running across the room <laughs> and trying to organize something of that size. It's just, you know, there comes a point where you just can't have, you know, a 1,000 or more person competition just because it's, yeah. What's it's What's been the best idea that you've, that's been thrown around with, um, like, um, qualifications? Has it been, like, no first-time competitors type of thing or, um, <sighs> like, certain sub, uh, uh, sub-end times for something? Yeah, it's tricky. Um, we're thinking it might require some sort of previous competition experience. Um, that's just one idea. I'm not sure if I totally like that because you want to give people a chance at least, but maybe, um, you know, we used to have qualification rounds. They were only removed recently just because they weren't being used. Yeah. Nobody has since 2010. Yeah. But qualification rounds could be like the, just even the old style and how we were using them could be useful in, you know, just having a quick best of two round for those who haven't competed before and then taking those, you know, taking as many people that we have room for in that qualification round. Um, and that could do a lot to save some time. Um, what do you think about potentially inviting the the 
optional regulations in Article Z for stuff like that. Um, which particularly, which one? The, the ones where um, that, that can guarantee oh, future rounds. Yes, that's another interesting thing too. It almost it almost kind of makes things a qualification round, but it counts towards the number of rounds you can hold, which is tricky. Yeah, because um, like again, um, nationals uh, we typically hold four rounds of three by three. Um, but you can't hold any more after that. So if you use one round as like currently your qualification round mm-hmm. where, you know, you pre-advance people to the second round based on certain criteria, um, then that get, means they have one less round to do a th- get a three by three average. Well, they just lose out on three solves basically. Well, five, if we did a first round, like average of five. Well, would that pre, would that qualification round even count for anything? Well, so cu- currently, so what we're talking about, currently the WCA doesn't have qualification rounds, but there's an Article Z, yeah. an optional regulation that allows you to pre-qualify people to like the second round. Okay. If you so choose to do that. Um, the issue right now is CubeComps does not support that article, I'm pretty sure. So it'd be very difficult currently to get that set up. Um Maybe it does, and I'm just not aware because I've never had to do this before. But I don't think there's any way that it is currently set up for that. And with cube comps kind of being the gold standard right now for results, um, that would need to be a change. Um, so this is kind of all stuff you have to you have to consider is that any sort of um, change in how you do qualifications like this, you really have to change the infrastructure and the regulations that go along with this too, which is tricky. Um, so... I think some sort of system for nationals like that could be more commonplace. Um, in terms of these 100 competitor limits, um, that's something you already see in some parts of the world. Yeah. Um, uh, us, right here. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, where like they fill up instantly. You know? Oh. Yeah, because oh, yeah. this, th- this at least people had plenty of time before the competitor limit was reached. You know, it, it, was, yeah. like, it was like a couple weeks before, but you had plenty of time to register, I feel, if you it wanted was, to. The Berkeley competition, like, uh, last week, it, the cap was at, like, 50, and it filled Originally. up... Yeah. filled up in like four days yeah well and is, if you look at the uk they had a, i think it's like welcome to guildford i think yeah. it's that competition they, they like what they do is they plan the date for the registration to open mm-hmm. they say this is the date it opens so you can plan ahead to go on and register then and i think like well more than half the seats were taken or spots were taken in a few hours that's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I, you know, if you're a UK Cuber and you know more about this, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember reading topics on speed solving and how it was just exploding. Um, yeah, I remember seeing Robert Yao's post saying, yeah, we're about to open this, so go here and it'll be open and you can uh, sign up. But I was, was imagining that people were going to pretty much sign up immediately if they were really anticipating going. Oh, yeah. That was like a couple days ago, right? Yeah, a few days ago yeah, or okay. something. Yeah. Um, and it's tricky. I, you know, I really don't know how you meet this, um, especially in areas like, you know, right here with Basque, where you have just so many, such a high demand, and it's hard to keep meeting that on a consistent basis. It's it's impossible. Actually. Do you feel like um, with the rapid growth, like let's say you had a thousand people for the same competition, do you think this will actually spark the idea of splitting up, you know, nationals into regionals, going back to regionals? I mean, at the same time, you'll get a lot of people that'll just go to both anyways. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, there will. Yeah. Well, that will just... Like, so I'm not well, sure if it really reduces the size of the... Con- I mean, it will. It will definitely reduce the size, but um, it's tough. Um, you know, I, 
I have to deal with, you know, a lot as an organizer or delegate with people that try to register or ask me if they can register, like, you know, days after the deadline has closed. And, you know, I really think that in that case, it's like, I, it's definitely fair to set a date where you need to start planning. Um, however, you know, sometimes limits get filled two or three weeks in advance and you just don't know if you can make it. For example, uh, Summit City Open. I didn't know that I was going to be able to make it until um, Thursday before I left to go, like two days ago, um, because my exam got moved. Oh, I thought wow. I was going to have an exam the week I got back from break, but now I don't. Um, so, you know, stuff changes on a dime. You know, people can suddenly not go. Some people now can suddenly go. And it's, you know, that's kind of the tough part is you might miss out on competitions you otherwise could have gone to. I don't think that's the most fair thing, but it's better to have competitions than to not and I think that um, if you have the option, say, you know, you don't have the best venue and you have to cap it at 80 people, is it better to have an 80-person limit competition than no competition at all? I say yes. Combating this growth is as easy as just having competitions more frequently. Because if you just if you keep churning out competitions, people aren't going to be able to go to all of them. People will start to say, well, I went to the one that was two or three months ago. I won't go to this one or... You'll get a lot of regulars, but at the same time, you might dilute the pool. Yeah, you want to have basket six next week? Yeah, you know, that's okay. No three by three. three. Oh, no three by three? Can we do, like, three rounds of FMC mean? Please. Let's do it. (laughs) Nine hours total of FMC. Yo, I'd be game. Fly me over. Like, can we go home yet? (laughs) (laughs) That's me after, like, the fourth Fourth, one. one, Straight up. Oh, man. Uh, um, oh, uh, right. Next question, do you want to oh. get onto that? Uh, despite the fact that you are Clementine, Brass claims that claims not to have eaten you in U.S. Nationals. Can you confirm this? I don't appear eaten. However, Brest, if you would like to eat me, I will submit myself. Oh my god! Okay, next. Okay, next question. What's it like trying to balance cubing, delegating, and your master's program right now? <laughs> yeah. Um, really, my program itself is, at, like, the classes I take is actually not my biggest time commitment. My biggest time commitment is more my teaching and my research of teaching. Um, so, if you're aware, I'm the head graduate student instructor for the largest course on U University of Michigan's campus. Uh, we teach... This current term, we have 2,167 students. Holy sh... Father! <laughs> yeah, there are um, six lectures and 68 discussion sections. Oh my god. Yeah, so I get to coordinate all of that. Um, so that sucks a lot of my time up, but it's so much fun. I oh, love doing it. I thought you were just going to say it sucks. No, I love it. I <laughs> think organization is the one that sucks. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny because they actually kind of have parallels, um, in terms of organization. There's a lot of, you know, scheduling that goes on. I have to build, you know, a schedule for 33 different GSIs to teach, um, and organize all of that. It's a lot like scheduling a competition really um so it's kind of funny how that kind of logistic stuff seems to overlap but um how do i balance it um i don't sleep (laughs) hey you and me both yeah Yeah. (laughs) i mean i don't don't know it's um cubing i think i have really put on a back burner the only event i kind of actively practice at this point is fmc which is just kind of also my hangout time, chill with, you know, my friends on Skype and in that sense. 
Um, and um, delegating is nicer now. I'm, you know, it was really rough at first uh, because I kind of inherited a region that was on the down, Koei itself. Yeah. Um, we were losing a lot of organizers. I kind of essentially took over for Jim Mertens in the area. Uh, because he's tr- trying to, like, on the tail end of finishing up his PhD program. So that's kind of my role, is I kind of picked up the entire Midwest. Mike Huey has kind of has started to delegate a few competitions, which has been, well, much appreciated, um, including the Summit City, as well as, like, um, Cube of Dreams. It's like Field of Dreams pun, because it's in Iowa. Um, I forget what it's exactly called. Um uh, so he's been picking up a little bit of slack, but for like a good year or two, I delegated every single competition in the Midwest. And a lot of these organizers were like new organizers too. So I had a lot of showing people the ropes on how to be an organizer and stuff like that. But it's starting to pay off. The work has really br- come down because, you know, the organizers I have know, I just tell them, hey, make the website. Let me know when it's ready. Mm-hmm. And or, you know, hey, do this. Let me know. And I'll, I'll look it over and things like that. So, um, yeah, really, you know, I think it's become a lot easier to balance at this point. It was very tough, very tough, like this time last year, though. Of all the competitions you've delegated, which two would be, do you think, would be on the opposite ends of the spectrum as far as organization goes? What do you mean opposite ends of the spectrum? Like, really like, good organization, really bad organization? Or just different styles of organization. Ooh. Um, okay. Good question. Very good question. Um, so, uh, probably on one opposite end of the spectrum, let's see. Um, I have to really think about this one. <laughs> um, so the thing is, most of the competitions I've delegated are, you know, my guidance. So they end up being very similar <laughs> because yeah. I'm the one who's, you know, I run a tight ship. So I have a lot, I kind of have a large influence on first time organizers and how things are run. Um, man. Well, how's it like coming here where we already kind of have. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely different here because as a delegate, I get to relax a bit more than I normally do, which is nice. I do appreciate that. Um, Whereas, um, you know, when, like, Tyler ran his first competition at Mishawaka, that was... And uh, Josh ran his first competition in Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, Those were... I mean, they they ended up great competitions. It was definitely kind of like... You know, I had to be very, you know, active those days, though, to, you know, make sure everything was moving through. Um, but so I'd say those are kind of opposite ends of the spectrum for me. Um, Florida, that was an interesting one. So, um, oh, yeah, cause you, you... I think that was actually the most one of the most different ones I've organized um, or delegated. Um, so that was kind of like my training for James Lachance to get a delegate in Florida. Yeah. So, which he's now a candidate delegate as well. Um, he is? Yeah, he is. Yeah, oh, yeah so okay. Florida's de- is got a delegate now. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, Tampa, yeah? Tampa, yeah. And that competition was interesting because it was in a science museum, kind of like Nationals. Yeah. Um, but it was really cool, actually. They had a whole area kind of when you come in the front door that was just our area. That's um, pretty cool. Um, and like people, so the, and people that were walking around the museum, they were like, it was kind of like nationals, but not perfect in the sense that they were like overlook areas. It wasn't like a whole 360 around like nationals was or the floors up that you could look down. But there were several like upper floor areas where you could see the whole competition, which was cool. We had a lot of spectators. There were just museum goers. Yeah. But they weren't in our way, which was really nice. Yeah, I, I like and, that you can get a lot of exposure that way. Mm-hmm. Um, while 
still maintaining a high level of efficiency. Yeah, and we had a staff comp there too because we got to go in Friday to set up, and we had like a day before staff comp. And I think that's what made it feel really different because the next day, everything went super, super fast and super efficient. Mm-hmm. It was just everything was in place, ready to go. Um, so that was a really cool competition. Very different. Yeah. Um, so do you know about this Cubejectives site? <laughs> yes, I do. I, have, I know nothing about it. Okay, so for, for the listeners at home who, or not necessarily at home, but for the uh, listeners who might not know, there was a... There was a thread released on speed solving that had this page called cube objectives so you put in your 3x3 average or or your WCID and it'll tell you um, based on linear regression uh, what approximately what you should average at every other speed solving event based on a baseline event yeah yeah so okay yeah that was it was terrible <laughs> All right. Not to be harsh, but it was. Yeah. Well, what would you change? What I change everything. Um, <laughs> well, it's just really hard to do a, a catch-all sort of model for everything. So, um, the main problem with just like throwing a linear regression on any data is that um, in order, like the the math that goes behind making a line of best fit requires that several assumptions are met, and cubing data never fo- fits those assumptions. Yeah, it, yeah that's um, what. Yeah, if you look at it, it's like an open cone, the scatter plot. Yeah, which is exactly what you don't oh. want to see. Um, and I actually made a great. Po- uh, I think I made a great post. Um, <laughs> <laughs> patting yourself on the back here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, Kit. Um, I made a post that kind of like fixed the three by three and four by four relationship. Um, so most, if not all, events have this problem of increasing variance. As you increase the to- your times, your prediction gets less and less accurate. So, like, for example, fast solvers of 3x3 three three tend to also be really fast at 4x4, four four, and you can get better guesses. There's less variance in those times. Whereas, you know, a, tw- you know, a 25 or 30 second solver might be, you know, a minute 30 or 5.30 on 4x4. Four four, who knows? That's really strange. Well, I mean, yeah. I'm just throwing out numbers. That might not be true at all. Okay. But it's just that, you know, when you get faster, the actual accuracy gets better. Yeah. Um, which is a, a problem because the re- regression, one of the main assumptions is that you have constant variance. So no matter what time you have in 3x3, three three, for example, um, you should have about the same accuracy in predicting 4x4. Four four. Um, so what I did in the post that I posted there. There's a lot of better ways you can do this. This is just kind of one thing that I thought of immediately when I saw the scatter plot is to take log transformations of all the data. So you just take like natural log of their time. Yeah. And what that ends up doing is it um stabilizes the variance. Yeah. So um and I d- it, but the problem is it was so increasing that I had to take two logs. <laughs> <laughs> So it was like log of log of three by three predicting log of log of four by four. Um, but then what you can do is the line of best fit then becomes a curve. You'll have like, so you'll, you'll fit that stuff, get your like slope and intercept for um, the log, log, the log, log times. Yeah. And then you take E to the, E to the, E to the, E to the, yeah, E to the, E to the, that equation. And then now, yeah, then you have your line of best fit, which is, mostly a straight line but it's kind of curvy for low values mm-hmm. and it straightens out that's interesting yeah so it um it what, it what what you find is that um basically what happens when you do linear regression on this kind of funnel data is that you miss the peak of the funnel 
Yeah. That's what happens. And so that's where the predictions just fall apart. I'm super glad that I have not competed in a 4x4, because I, I, I average about 12, 12 to 13 at home on 3x3, and I average some, maybe like 125 on 4x4. Yeah. Kill the variance. Yeah. Kill the variance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's one basic way. There's, I mean, this is kind of the way that I think is most explainable to people who might have like at least a high school level math of understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could go into more things with like general linear models and, you know... Uh, but I think that for the sake of my own sanity this late at night and for uh, the sake of everyone else listening, we will not go there. Okay, that's appreciated. (laughs) (laughs) So this next question is for everyone. Uh, Snug, marry, avoid. Uh, It's a variant on... You can probably figure it out. If you don't, then don't worry about it. Uh, Andrew Kang, Tom Barlow, Austin Reed. (laughs) What? Uh, I do have to... Assign one to each of them. Is that how yes. this works? So you okay. snog one, you'd marry one, and you'd avoid one. Andrew Kang, Tom Barlow, Austin Reed. What'd you say? Got to think about it. I'm All ready right. for my answer, man. Go Good ahead, Waffle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, I would just snog like Tom because it's like a one night stand thing. I would be <laughs> totally game. Uh, marry Andrew Kang because his family runs a sushi place, yep. so I get all that deliciousness going on. And I would avoid Austin Reed because I'm sorry because he was the last choice. Oh, sorry, Austin. Yeah, just sorry, Austin. Brandon, what do you think? Dang, um, I would, I would snug Tom because why not? Uh, marry Austin Reed and then avoid Andrew like the plague because Scube. <laughs> Ouch. Okay. 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 Um. Okay. Um. I don't know. I think that... So I'm, like, one of the least argumentative people in the world, so I think I'd avoid Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, So sorry, Tom. You're cool, but I don't like arguing with people. So, um... And let's see. He's gonna try to. He's gonna try to convince you that you do. Yeah, I'll snog Austin just because he needs a little bit of love here. Uh, he's been avoided too much, and um, I don't know. And I guess that leaves marrying Andrew Kang because uh, you know Skeep sucks. <laughs> <laughs> the reasoning's <Goodbye>. great. <laughs> <laughs> I hold. I held number two single in the world at one point. Skeep sucks. I held number one single in the world for like seven months. Yeah, your fault I didn't have NAR. (laughs) (laughs) The listeners can't see what's happening with my hands right now. (laughs) It is wonderful. It is implied. (laughs) All right, Mitch. (laughs) So... Um, Andrew, I would have to, like, snog him because how much he just hates Skew. (laughs) So just get that over with. Um, Tom, I'm sorry, Tom, but I want to avoid you at all costs. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, I guess I'm marrying Austin Reed because he's the one that I know the most, so. That's cute. We're best buds. Move Um, out to Arizona. Yep. It's the most annoying thing that too many competitors do. Or that a competitor has done. Uh, okay, so my policy of competitions is never to announce how many people make it because I like to do that based on where there's gaps as well as how much time we have. I don't want to say that we're doing this many people because then 
it gives me le- like less flexibility in scheduling later. Um, I like to be open in that sort of flexibility. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's different. It's it's kind of ha- I, I like to just because generally we tend to run ahead, and I like to you be run able- ahead. What? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, Michigan comps do tend to run like ahead of schedule, so I like to have the ability to say like, okay, you know, I was thinking this many, but let's allow more people, or you know, we're behind. I'd like to, you know, have a smaller final. Yeah, we're always scared that we're going to run obscenely behind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, today I'm, I'm scared of it too. So it's nice to have the flexibility though to do that, but I cannot stand when people, uh, like the three by three round is just ended or something, and they come up and ask like, "So did my son or daughter make it to the next round?" Yeah, oh, it, you get that comp- that question like five times each competition. Oh my god! It's no, no, no they didn't go away. <laughs> <laughs> what what did the, what did they get for their average? I don't know. That I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> What do they get for the average? Well, no. <laughs> uh, that that drives me crazy. Um, and it's just like, you know, maybe... It makes me wonder, like, you know, maybe I will... I'll just set, like, really small final rounds now so nobody will ask me and then expand later if need be. Straight up, Basque only likes having two rounds of three by three most of the time. Yeah. And top... And the finals, like, top eight. Mm-hmm. Like, did I make finals? Oh, did I make second round? Are you in the top eight solvers? No. Yeah, I understand that. I don't know. So, um, uh, I don't know. I think that's kind of the main thing that came to mind right away. I can't really think of any other major... I'm more focused on the uh, parentheses over here, or that a competitor has done the most annoying thing a competitor has done. I feel like uh, doing those cube towers is really annoying. Oh, oh my, my god. god. <laughs> World Champions. Let's make, like, a 10-foot cube tower in the back with, like, <laughs> 11, by 11 by 11 on top. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was a bad idea. That was a good impression, by the way. That was perfect, actually. I was really convinced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cube towers are terrible. I, my policy is whenever I see one, I go over and stop it immediately, just because it's <laughs> always going to end in a giant crash. <laughs> oh yeah, here like, we have earthquakes, so people usually don't do it. <laughs> that's fair enough no. if you could choose one just one thing what is the most important thing for competition organizers to focus on both before and during or after the competition Ooh, okay good question um so before main thing i'd say to focus on is um really just you know a lot of people don't think that you need a plan going into the, your competition but you really need to have some idea of like you know heats you know how you're going to staff things. Um, you know, really, a lot of organizers just think they can just waltz in and, you know, they'll figure out judges on the fly and, oh. you know, gr- you know, just call people up and it'll work. That's awful. I don't think I've ever run a competition without heats. <laughs> so I think that's the main thing I would always focus on is having a, a good system for setting that up. Um, during the competition, um, uh, so one of the things that personally I do a lot... Um, is float <laughs> and as an organizer or delegate it's always good to be in a position where you can fix problems um and that's why pretty much 90 percent of the time at a competition i'm either doing mostly running and occasionally data entry because i'm always at a position where if there's a problem i need to get to i can run and get to it yeah so that's important to me that's for that's during yeah so if you are an organizer try to make sure that you can be the cube runner most of the time um, let's see. Um, what next question is, what are your favorite and least favorite parts about being a delegate? I really enjoy, um, 
as being a delegate, kind of just the I the spreading of cubing. It, I think the most fun times I've had is when I get to travel to new places that are kind of you know lacking in competitions, and it's fun to ex, you know spread out the the fun to new places. Um, you know, with the new competitions we had in Florida, Kansas, um, especially Kansas has been like a really. Ever since they had a competition, it's just exploded with activity, like on the forums, meetups, and all of that. Yeah, the meetups are a good indication of uh, growth in an area. Like, yeah, oh yeah. So they, I mean, they've only had one competition recently so far, but all the people that have gone there, they still meet up regularly, which that's, is that's really good. Yeah, so it's cool to see that growing. Um, Florida now, we got some delegates in the southeast, maybe two if I move down, down there. Um, so. Um, that's kind of the most cool aspect of being a delegate to me is trying to expand cubing to areas that n- might not necessarily have competitions that frequently. But the worst part of being a delegate, what do you think? Worst part? Um, checking scorecards. <laughs> <laughs> scorecards. Um, it gets, I mean, it gets done. I've, the usual thing I do is, um, friends that have come for competitions, especially if this is like Ann Arbor, um, I just have, you know, people come back and hang out and then we quickly do a score checking and then, you know, cause if you have a bunch of people for like a small local competition, you can churn through score checking in like 15 minutes. It does not take too, too long. I usually do it alone. It's, it sucks. I've done yeah, it before. Yeah, yeah. Are you going to do all 150 alone? Uh, no, no, 150 scorecards. No, that's, it's more like 700 scorecards. This time I'm probably going to be doing that alone as well. Uh, which is fine, because um, like I, 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 I've gone through all the Basque ones alone, and it's usually fine because I usually, I usually find the time within about a week to just get through them in small batches, uh, and, and it usually works out. Yeah, yeah, it it it, it gets done, but um, trying to push that on and just trying to make sure it gets done with a large group of people for me is always the way I get that done. Um, um, I, I don't know. I think that's pretty much the, the worst part. Also, uh, trying to run an incident-free competition is really hard. Um, especially in terms right now with just scrambling mistakes. Um, scramble mistakes are terrible. <laughs> and oh, yeah. It's, been, it, it's crazy how often they come up and um i really would like to see so there's been a lot of talk right now to try to implement some sort of scramble checking policy whether that is you actually designate someone to be the scramble checker Mm. where before cubes send out they have the scramble sheet in front they have to look at the cube to make sure it's right before it goes out or you have scramblers sign off when they have checked the scramble just so they have some sort of confirmation that makes them think about it in some sense i think the scrambler checker is a lot of manpower to be put into one position i'm kind of in favor of using just kind of signing on the scorecard that it was the scramble was checked yeah i think it it makes it uh a very small difference overall in the amount of time that's spent in between timer stop and timer start and it makes people accountable we know who it, it it gives information to me as to you know if we find out something's a miss scramble if there's a repeated pattern as to who is causing those miss scrambles um yeah it's um good information to know that, especially if, you know, there might be conspiracies in people intentionally giving wrong scramble. But, you know, you never know what could be happening behind the scenes with those scrambles. And I think that having scramble checkers makes scramblers both understand 
the importance of their role as well as the importance of being accurate. Accuracy is stressed in the regulations anyway. It's required that scramblers check that it's that their puzzles are properly scrambled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like so many people just don't care. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, like I heard at one competition a guy saying, like, you know, oh, this person's coming up. I better make sure this one's right. Oh, and it was, God. It I was, hate that. It was during 3x3. Three three. Like, wait, you're not checking to make sure all of these are right? What are you doing here? <laughs> Which aspects of cubing is most in need of change, and how would you like to change it? Wow. Uh, this is open-ended. So I think the thing that I really am kind of upset about with cubing is that it's... I mean, it's kind of hard to change this, but it's a very uh, privileged activity. It's, um, you know, the majority of people that go to competitions are very well off. And the problem with that is just that you need to travel. And in order to travel, you need to have the money and means to travel. Um, And something that I, you know, this is not something that I have the time for to deal with right now, but something I'd like to see happen in the future is some sort of ability to apply for travel funding in some sense, have some sort of like cubing quote unquote scholarship um, that competitors could apply for in order to um, get funds to travel to competitions. Would you mean like the higher ranking people or just like the average Joe that would actually need it? Yeah. Someone, someone that actually need it, you know, maybe like offer it to like, you know, people who haven't competed before. And you know, the reason they haven't competed before is because they haven't had the means to do so. And I think that having some sort of that, like to bring, you know, a wider range of cubers, you know, some, you know, with different backgrounds, different stories, I think would be really valuable to have this more diverse community. Yeah. Uh, So this one is also very open-ending, open-ended. What's the meaning of life? 42. Next question. Uh, What is your favorite dessert? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, that's hard. That's super hard. <laughs> uh, the meaning of life was super simple, but the dessert, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> this is you know where where I put my value in life. Um, like, what do you really want right now? So in Ann Arbor, there's a place called Pizza House, and they make great cinnamon sticks. Oh, cinnamon sticks. Cinnamon. I feel. I we, I do uh, trivia every night with people in the stat department, and every Wednesday night, and I. On the reg, get their cinnamon sticks. So that's a pretty deep craving of mine. So I think it's time for our favorite part of the show. Well, not really. Uh, Skype team blind. So I'm just going to turn around and pretend like I am on. I'm in Michigan, and you are in California, and it's like a Skype team blind. Okay. Um, we're going to start um, with uh, blue on top, yellow in front. Go blue. Blue on top, yellow in front. <laughs> I yeah. got it. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. We ready? Yeah. All right. Let's do an F prime, U prime, um, R prime, U two, R prime, F. Okay. We got cross. Um, okay. Let's do um, F prime, U F, um, Y, uh, and then R U R prime. Okay. Uh, y prime. Okay. Um, now let's do. Um, uh, uh, fur earth. Okay, got it. And then U2. Uh, insert back left, so that would be L, U prime, uh, L prime? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Then, um, oh god, the lighting is terrible. Uh, we're gonna do an, uh, F, U2, F2. Uh, U prime, F. Okay. 
Um, now let's do an uh, L prime U prime L. Uh, U two. All right, insert front left. What do you mean? What do you mean? Uh, L prime U L. Okay. Okay. Then uh, U. Dead man. What? <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, I know that one. I know that one. <laughs> You know, okay. the dead man OLL, where, like, the, the, it's... No, we don't know. Um, it's, okay, none of the corners are oriented. Are edges oriented. Edges are oriented, but none of it, the corners. Is it, uh, soon, anti-soon, pi, L, U... Pi! It's pi. That's what normal people call R-U-2, it. R2, R2? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, then, uh, U prime. And it's an R-A. Uh, uh, which one's that? <laughs> is that the good R or is that? Uh, it's the lefty one. So it's, uh, okay. So where's the where's the corner swap? Uh, the the corner swaps on the uh, right side. I don't know R perm. All right, then you two. Where you at? Oh, so close. Okay. All right, I was off by a U prime. <laughs> I what the? F- <laughs> wow. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, very interesting. I have up to OLL, and that's it. Ooh, how did how did this <laughs> got probably got lost at Dead Man? I got lost at our perm. So thank you for that team blind kit. That was really fun, and we'll see you here immediately. Immediately. Yeah, we can't really like sign you off because you're right next to them. Oh, that's true. Well, I could like evaporate. That would that's be... a very helpful skill to have. It is actually, and I'm just gonna do it right in front of everyone's very own eyes on Cubecast. Wow. Impressive. Check it out. I evaporated. Alrighty, nice. it's been fun. I'm gonna go uh, float in the air now. Bye, kids. Yeah. <laughs> that was. That was <laughs> on the show. All right. Okay, thanks, which, brings, which brings us to the, our next uh, least exciting part of the show: the puzzler. So this time, the puzzler has to do with money, specifically about individual retirement accounts in the U.S. They're called IRAs. We're gonna be talking about Roth IRAs. So basically, it goes like this. So John Johnson opens a Roth IRA on his 20th birthday and cashes out on his 70th birthday. At a 6% return rate, what is the maximum amount of money that John Johnson's account could be worth? So that was the puzzler. If you have any submissions for that, please send them to cubecast at gmail.com. And if you happen to be the first person to get it right, $5 from the cubicle.us is yours. All right. That's been our show. It's been great. It was nice having Kit on. Isn't that right, Kit? Oh, wait, he evaporated. Damn. Yeah, and our next guest, Jaden McNeil. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so if you have questions to send for Jay, please send those to cubecast at gmail.com. Um, like everything that you guys send us. We appreciate all of the taglines you've received and all the listener questions and your feedback and your puzzler submissions. It, it's really vindicating for us to actually action from the audience. Uh, it makes us feel like we're doing a good thing for the community so thank you for that and um if you have any listener questions for jay any color submissions and any taglines to give us please send those to keepcast.gmail.com and until next time thanks for listening whatever that's gonna be fun to